Welcome to Below the Fold, the most honest and raw digital marketing podcast around. It's good to be back. Coming back with a bang. I might be hiring someone to speak for me. So you think you're an SEO ninja, eh? That was just my little fantasy in the back of my head. Here's the tip. Oh, I know the tip. Are you the one who told me the tip? I need you to come up with 50 business ideas. I'll be back in two hours. I think I need a new title. Welcome back to another episode of Below the Fold. This show is for marketers, startups, and anyone else wanting to know the ins and outs, the ups and downs of digital marketing. My name is Jacob Perry. I'm joined by Paxton Gray and Brandon Hassler. And this week's guest, we have Clint Betts. How are you, Clint? Good. Thanks for having me on. No, thank you for coming. As always, we'll open the show with some current events. We've got a few good stories this week. I'll pass it on to Brandon and he can start us off with some Snapchat news. Well, I hesitate bringing this up because I've only read a little bit about this, but essentially Snapchat's opening up its advertising platform to every, I'm not sure if it's everyone now or if it's just more, but uh, this is obviously getting ready for their eventual IPO that you mentioned they, is that today they filed? Today they officially filed their application to go public. And that's not Snapchat, that's Snap, oh, yeah. Inc. Right. But same thing. Right. So, yeah, I'm still reading into that because then I read all the stuff about APIs and whatnot. So cooler is Snapchat is uh, working on filters that will actually recognize real-life objects. And then uh, on the screen, things will interact with that object. Which, uh, is, which is from their, their glasses. No. Oh, no, no, from no. the camera. Yeah. Oh, okay. From the camera on your phone. I'm, I, I don't know. Maybe glasses can, can use this. I doubt it because you have to see a screen for it to be cool at all. Uh, but there's lots of cool applications you can do for that. Uh, I remember back when people were first start, starting uh, to talk about how augmented reality could play a role within marketing. And there were some cool ideas about like a manhole cover with steam coming out of it. Like Starbucks can have a, a, a cup of coffee sitting there. And then the steam uh, from the manhole cover will like come out of the cup of coffee. Uh, like lots of cool, cool ideas uh, of how to use the world around us uh, in addition to marketing. So this is kind of the first, I think, real step uh, in that direction. I'm excited to, to see where this goes. Do you guys use Snapchat? I was just going to ask you that. <laughs> no, I, I don't understand it. Yeah, I have I'm no not, idea what's going yeah. on. So on this show, we talked about how none of us use it. And uh, I took on the challenge of using Snapchat every single day for 30 days Whoa. to figure it out. And uh, now I don't use it anymore. But I know all about it. <laughs> and I know how it works. I just feel weird. Uh, I feel a little old to be on Snapchat, to be honest. I feel a little weird. Yeah, I feel a little creepy being on Snapchat. Yeah. There, yeah. Are, <laughs> there are over 150 million active daily users. And yeah. I am not one of them. It is a good, good platform to know how to use uh, if, you're, if you want to talk to the younger side of the millennials, for sure. I feel like, though, because I was like semi-active on Snapchat, yeah, uh, mainly just because I kind of felt obligated just being in marketing. So it's like, well, I got to uh-huh. learn the platform and whatnot. But then as soon as Instagram stories oh, yeah. I came mean, out, they, like, I just lost yeah. all motivation because the thing I, I've always hated about Snapchat is the lack of discoverability or... I'm not sure if that's a real word or not, but it's impossible. You have to know like their exact username right. to find someone. Whereas Instagram, you're able to pull off of your existing audience and start doing live stories and whatnot. search for people to follow. Yeah. yeah. So, and I, yeah, I was listening last week when you guys were talking about um, Facebook 
also releasing stories and how it almost i haven't seen it on my feed have you guys had no an it's, it's only in ireland right now oh okay i guess yeah, you weren't right. listening that closely no, yeah ireland <laughs> i remember now but yeah, i thought that was kind of stupid because it's by the way welcome back brandon thank you you want to tell everyone why you were gone? <clears throat> I had my first little girl. So, oh, congrats, man. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, so now my life has been turned upside down and I no longer own my own time. Yeah. So it's, a, it's an adjustment. Your life is no longer your own. That's right. Welcome <laughs> to the real world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and by the way, I've never noticed this before. Do you have a lisp or something? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> something lispy. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's a great radio voice, man. <laughs> I have a piece of news. Okay, go ahead. Small, short, simple, but applicable for anyone who has a small business. Applicable. Applicable. Uh, Google is testing uh, out a new feature on uh, uh, for local results. Uh, if your company has a sale or any kind of event going on, you can actually add that to your Google My Business page, and that will actually show up in the the local results. Uh, so it's a good way of uh, standing out a little bit when people search for something locally and uh, driving a little more traffic and uh, awareness that way. So hopefully that they roll that out because I think that's a pretty cool feature. And uh, Local's been hit pretty hard uh, over the past couple of years. So I think this is a good uh, boon to people who rely a lot on Local. Speaking of Google, their Q4 numbers, they made $26 billion in Q4, which yeah. is shadowed by the the behemoth of Apple who made $78 billion Oh, you should have had us Q4. guess, man. Guess. I just told you guys before we started. Well, you should have had Clint guess. <laughs> hey, man, I, I want you to guess something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, and then uh, the last thing I have is Walmart. Is uh, It has Amazon Prime in its, in its crosshairs. It's offering free two-day shipping for free. Free two-day shipping for free. That's is that going to make you sh- Is that going to make you shop at Walmart more? Uh, I don't know. I, I shop at Walmart now. I not online. I never buy anything online. But you, minimum minimum purchase. I never buy anything online from Walmart. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I buy plenty online. I just bought uh, shoelaces yesterday. That was my latest buy online. Wait, you said you don't buy online from Walmart? That's right. But you buy in person at yeah. Walmart. Yeah, he likes to be around his people. Interesting. Yeah, the people of Walmart. Yeah. That's just that's okay. my crowd. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, you want to try to make. One of the photos on the website for people. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. For the calendar? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the catch is you have to spend at least $35 in order to get the free two-day shipping. Mm. Other than that, they're, they're, uh, they're taking Amazon on. Any other news? Um, no. I was, reading about, <laughs> I was reading about how Walmart bought Jet last year. I was trying to figure out, I see how much they bought them for, but I we'll, don't see it right off the bat. We'll edit that out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> let's move on to our guest clint betts why don't you take 30 to 60 seconds to tell us who you are and what you do oh man now i have to time my response it's gonna yeah. be hard yeah and i realize it's like a skills-based podcast <laughs> uh i'm clint betts i'm the founder of beehive startups i'm also now the executive director um and editor-in-chief of silicon slopes and beehive startups we recently combined um those two brands into one 501c3 nonprofit. In our organization, we exist to empower Utah's tech and startup community to learn, connect, and serve. We do a variety of things inside of that, which we can touch on in a little bit. But that's what we do. We, uh, you know, we work with and uh, for Utah startup and tech community. 
That's awesome. And it was probably within the 60 seconds. Oh, thanks, man. That was awesome. So officially, the title of the 501c3 is Silicon Slopes and Beehive Startups? Well, the title of the 501c3, not that it matters too much, is actually called Beehive Startups. I think it will eventually change that to Silicon Slopes Foundation. We really want to rally around the brand Silicon Slopes. Yeah. um, Because it has such a far national and global reach, whereas compared to Beehive Startups, when Josh, Josh James started Silicon Slopes in 2008 as a way to market Utah startup and tech community and a way to brand it so people you know, outside of Utah would know that there's a tech community here. When I launched BI Startups, I didn't launch it for that purpose. I launched it to tell the stories of what was happening in this community, of the founders and the startups here. And so the combination of those two things is actually pretty interesting because BI was all about organizing the community here locally, where Silicon Slopes is about putting uh, Utah on the nationals and global stage and bringing people here. Mm-hmm. So combining those two things, the community that's here, as well as kind of this brand that's been recognized now and built over the past 10 years by Josh and, and so many others. Um, so far, so good. We're excited about it. I think it should be said that early on, Brandon Hassler owned SiliconSlopes.com. No, I didn't. Oh, what was it? I just had a, a Google Plus community called Silicon oh, oh, is that what it was? <laughs> yeah, I didn't own it. Oh, I thought you owned the website. Wow. No, I had a – so I created a uh, – because that's back when, like, Google Plus was blowing up. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I'll make a community, you know, for, like, you know, people in tech, startups, marketers, whatnot. I'll just call it Silicon Slopes. And then I get contacted by someone from Domo who's kind of on the Silicon Slopes project. And I'm like, uh, we need to own that account now. You need to <laughs> hand it over. So they took me out to lunch and explained that they're very protective of the name at the time that it were so – uh, handed the account over to them for a free lunch. I'm like, well, there you go. There's 42 oh, members in there. <laughs> and then it just died. Nothing happened with it. But... You should have fought for more, man. <laughs> yeah, man. I think you got a po- didn't you get a poster out of it too? Oh, yeah. Uh, in the, <laughs> I think an outdated uh, <clears throat> Silicon Slopes calendar That's awesome. Poster. So so what, <laughs> what motivated you to start uh, Beehive Startups? Well, it's kind of interesting. So uh, we're here at at Izeni, which is now Start Studio. I was working with Jordan and Gabe Gunderson um, on Start Studio. And Start Studio, formerly Izeni, kind of works with early stage startups to help them build their initial product, um, get them to a point where they can go out and seek outside investment, and then helps them take that product the rest of the way until they're able to transition to an in-house team. So we've been involved in Utah startup and tech community for years prior to Beehive Startups. Mm-hmm. And we launched Beehive Startups just as a way to tell stories. We, we realized when one of our companies, Weave, got accepted into Y Combinator. They were the first Utah startup accepted into Y Combinator. And just for your listeners, if they don't know who that is, that's kind of like the Harvard of accelerators out there in Silicon Valley, one of the you know most prominent, if not the most prominent, um, accelerators. And three, three and a half years ago, getting accepted into Y Combinator was a big deal. Um, and when Weave did that, um, we were excited about it and we wanted to tell people, hey, Weave has been accepted into Y Combinator um, and just kind of spread the news, right? There was no way to do that. At that time, Josh was pulling Silicon Slopes out of Adobe because it got wrapped up in the Omniture acquisition. Mm-hmm. Silicon Slopes has a, actually a fascinating kind of history of everyone who's kind of touched that and been a part of it up until, you know, this new organization. And so at the time, there was no like Deseret News, Daily Herald, Salt Lake Tribune. They don't cover business news, let alone tech news. Um, and so we launched BI Startups just as a, kind of an answer to that. We're going to tell stories. My background's in journalism. I, that's the deg- at least the degree I got at UVU. I shouldn't say my background's in that. Uh, and, you know, I thought, you know, I'll write one or two blog posts a week, basically, one or two stories a week. 
and we'll all just keep our day jobs. That was the whole, you know, impetus for starting BI startups was just to tell stories. But that quickly caught on. People started liking the stories that we would write because, you know, we wouldn't publish press releases. They were very authentic. They were kind of a little bit longer in depth on how, you know, these founders were building these companies, what, you know, motivated them to do it, that type of stuff. And uh, people started pushing us to do more. The community really pushed us to like, hey, why don't you do some events? Why don't you do um, other things? Why don't you create an organization out of this? And we, we started, we did a few events and then we said, hey, let's, let's do a really big event. And we did that in early 2015 called Start SLC. We had 3,000 people come out to it. It was just this crazy kind of defining moment, I think, for our community. Kind of the first time anyone had rallied us all together in kind of one place. Um, and kind of that, I think, made us realize, hey, this is a real thing. It's a lot more than just, you know, a couple blog posts a week. And so we spun out Beehive Startups at that point, And it became, yeah, I don't want to say a real organization, but it became an organization at that mm-hmm. point. Uh, we just recently became a real organization, to be honest. So you're fresh off the heels of uh, Tech Summit. Yeah. Uh, what role did you play in putting that together? Yeah, we put it on. We put on Silicon Slopes Tech Summit. That's our that's our organization who did that. You know, with the help of so many other people in the community, though. In record time. Yeah, it was crazy. We decided to do officially do Silicon Slopes Tech Summit on December sixth, which is the same day we announced Silicon Slopes Tech Summit. We didn't announce our agenda until the Monday of the event, which was right. Thursday. Yeah, and so it was a little bit of a crazy, hectic. There were moments like two weeks out where I was wondering, hey, are we going to pull this thing off and how are we going to do it and that type of stuff. But, um, yeah, the commu- it's another example of the community kind of rallying behind kind of our organization and behind this idea of unifying Utah startup and tech community and how important this type, this type of stuff is. Um, that it was, I think it's the best event our organization has ever done, hands down. We had over 5,000 people show up, amazing speakers, two days of at the Salt Palace, of just kind of phenomenal, you know, learning, connecting, and serving kind of based on our three pillars as an organization. Yeah, it was a great event. Jacob and I were both there. Um, I have to ask, uh, being that this is a marketing show, uh, how do you go from announcing it and in in two months uh, having 5,000 attendees? Like, obviously, there was a lot of uh, pull from the speakers and things like that. But maybe outside of that, what did you do to, to get so many people in the seats? Well, it's a little, it's a little misleading, right? To say that we kind of are able to do that in like a month and a half. We've been working towards something like Silicon Slopes Tech Summit for three and a half years. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like out of the blue that we were going to put on this huge event, right? It's just the time frame that we decided to put it all together was short. You're talking about, you're talking about like the brand recognition, brand recognition, the community buy-in to what we were doing. All of that stuff has already been in place, right? So that when we say we're going to put on an event, people kind of believe us. They're excited about it because we've we kind of have a track record of success. You know what I mean? Yeah. To be able to put it on, Um, out of the blue, somebody just trying to do that, I think would be impossible. And also, I think the reason why it was successful was this coming together in this new organization. Because as Brandon mentioned, I mean, Silicon Slopes used to be kind of like a Josh and Domo thing. Yeah. Um, which And it was great, right? It was this way to kind of brand Utah. And that, that name had really caught on. I mean, B.I. Starps was kind of like this community thing, but it was kind of like a little incestuous. It was always, whenever we'd put on events, like Josh would, it would be like our keynote. And Aaron Sconner would be our keynote. Ryan Smith would be our keynote. And so um, the coming together of this organization and making it a national and global 
you know, reach you know, when we reached out to speakers. Cause we got like StubHub CEO and all the yeah. cascade and kind of Michael Pena, the actor mm-hmm. and all these folks to come, come speak. That doesn't happen without this organization, this board that we put together um, of kind of all the top CEOs and kind of top players in the community. So that helped a lot too, is kind of utilizing their network and the network or kind of the organization and the people inside of it to really kind of pull this thing off and lean on people yeah. and cash in some favors in order to pull that off. But it was, it was nuts. Yeah. It was yeah. totally crazy. So out of the 5,000 plus people that were there, how many of the seats were given away for free? Uh, good question. I, I don't know the exact percentage. Typically when we do an event, like when we did start fest, yeah. um, in Provo in 2015, I would say half mm-hmm. was given away for free and half, half paid. I don't know what it was. At Silicon Slopes Tech mm. Summit, but I bet it's around there. Yeah, uh, in order to kind of boost your numbers, yeah. and, and a lot of that goes to uh, students. We we you know yeah, you had a BYU, lot of students University of Utah students out those folks, and it's kind of a little misleading when we say half were given away for free because um, you know our sponsors, all of their employees get free tickets. Oh yeah, but they're, the sponsors paid like insane amount of money to yeah. sponsor that right. you know what i mean it just doesn't go count towards the tickets so i don't know the exact when you when you when you discount like sponsors who brought their employees i know we gave a lot of tickets away to students so yeah i ask uh so i work at vivint so i got free tickets and as the marketer i'm thinking we want this to to at least be perceived as really 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 successful yeah so even though we put a lot of money into this this is something we're planning on doing year after year after year this year is almost like the sacrifice where we're not going to make money. Uh, although I'm not saying you didn't make money. Maybe you did. Uh, but like my number one goal right now is to make this look way bigger than maybe it actually is. That That's where the question originates from. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and there, there's something to that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like we want the first year to be big and be seen as a huge success so that 2018 is even bigger. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that we attract you know more people, obviously. But also kind of bigger speakers, more names. And we intentionally do this during the first week of Sundance and start kind of marrying those two events together. I mean, they'll never be the same event, Mm -hmm. but kind of we're intentionally doing it during Sundance. And so kind of, you know, putting on a good show, a quality show, something that people walk away with saying, wow, that was an amazing event. That was super. That's super important to us in general. Yeah. You know what I mean? No matter what we do. But in particular, Silicon Slopes Tech Summit, just because of the amount of people who were involved. Um, the caliber and the amount of money that was put in by like folks like Todd Peterson over yeah. at Vivint. Um, it was important that we, you know, we succeeded. It's kind of crazy. This is like the history of Beehive all in like two months. Um, in that this is kind of how we've always done things. We've always just said, Hey, we're going to do this thing. And then we just figure out how to do it. Cause we just committed ourselves publicly to do it. Yeah. That's kind of what we did here with Silicon Slopes Tech Summit is on December 6th, we posted, Hey, we're going to do Silicon Slopes Tech Summit. And then from then until the event, we figured out how are we actually going to do this thing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, right now, uh, Silicon Slopes on the like the executive board members. It's uh, uh, Ryan Smith, uh, 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 Merritt's. Uh, yeah, we have Ryan Smith, CEO of Qualtrics. Todd Peterson, CEO of Vivint. Kareen Clark, former CEO of Merit CX. Uh, Aaron Sconard, Plural Site CEO. Dave Bateman, Entrada CEO. Uh, Dave Elkington, Inside Sales CEO, um, Brad Rencher, who runs Adobe here in Utah. And Josh James. And Josh James. Yeah. So uh, were, were a number of them a part of Beehive Startups 
before and then a number were a part of silicon slopes or yeah kind of okay and then they all kind of like yeah. merged together interestingly right uh we had and that's why like rallying around one brand is important which for marketers that might actually be an interesting conversation like why are we rallying around just one of these brands um but to, to step back and answer your question uh like aaron sconard and i started an organization called start foundation again like another random brand mm-hmm um but it was like part of start fest and we'd kind of build been building up that brand for a while and then we grabbed kareen clark and dave bateman and you know a bunch of other folks ryan smith and started creating like kind of like this organization that was for no reason at all outside of silicon slopes other than you know we hadn't merged these two things together and josh and i hadn't begun those conversations yet and the idea of start foundation was like hey let's rally you to start up a debt community kind of one thing Let's get all the major players inside of it so we can really kind of blow this thing up. And then when Josh came and spoke at Start Fest, we had a you know about 30 minutes before we went on stage in the back room, just he and I. And that's when we first you know initially began talking about, hey, we should really combine all of these things and rally behind one brand. And so that's how it happened. So what's the future of uh, Silicon Slopes? What, yeah. are your, what are your plans for 2017, 18, five Two, years? Yeah, 2017 is going to be a crazy year for our organization. You're going to see us announce some... I think important initiatives um, we're, we're finally realizing as a group and as a tech community, the power of our voice and the power uh, and influence we have when we come together and uh, really kind of put, put our weight behind things. Right. A good example of this, an interesting example of this is when Trump came out with his executive order on immigration. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was standing in line at uh, Disneyland for splash mountain had 45 minutes in this line and that came out i think like the night before and i got a text from aaron sconard who texted everybody on the board so it's like this group text mm-hmm. said hey we need to make a statement on this you know this does isn't what we stand for as an organization or whatever right um and so in line i wrote this statement and we were making edits through text messages and you know within like a couple hours we had finally put together this um, thing and I did the interesting thing is I did it all on my phone, which I've never done before. Yeah, and we released this this statement, and it was crazy. It got you know obviously it got a lot of attention. We sent it to the entire congressional delegation, that type of stuff. So I think you'll see us do more of that in 2017 for sure. Hopefully not like put out statements against Trump all the time. I hope yeah. that's not what we're doing. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think you'll see us rallying this board and rallying this community behind causes we care about and feel like we can make a difference on. So I, I mentioned we have our three pillars of learn, connect, and serve. Inside the learn piece, we, we're a media organization. That's what that is. Mm-hmm. We do we have a weekly KSL radio show um, that's actually recorded in the studio we're in right now. Uh, we have a quarterly magazine. We're publishing stories on siliconslopes.com and bistartups.com every day, pushing things out through social media. I think they're one of the major reasons why our organization has been successful is we've talked to this community every single day, nearly every single hour for the past four years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So again, you know, when we say we're going to put on an event in a month and a half, we kind of have this trust and kind of built in relationship with this community already. And inside the connect piece, we do 75 events as an organization a year. Some of them huge, like Silicon Slopes Tech Summit. Some of them small, like Launch Up and Startup Conversation Series. And some even smaller, where it's just like 10 people at a breakfast. So we do, you know, kind of the whole gamut of really small events all the way up to kind of the big events. But the one, the most interesting of the pillars for me personally is the serve piece. How do we rally Utah startup and tech community to give back? How do we ensure Silicon Slopes don't rise while the rest of Utah falls or remain stagnant? And what can we do as an organization to help 
you know, serve and give back. And, you know, education is a big piece for us. We did Startup Santa, which is a statewide book drive that, you know, has all these tech communities competing, companies competing against each other to see who can raise the most books and donate to childhood literacy programs. And we raised over $400,000 and 87,000 children's books for children living in low-income families through Startup Santa on the holidays. So you're going to awesome. see you're going to see us do a lot more around education and more on particularly childhood literacy and helping Title I schools in 2017. Um, you'll, in 2018's uh, Silicon Slopes Tech Summit, is going to be crazy. But you'll see some announcements over the next three to six months that I think will really solidify our place in this community as an organization. Yeah. So you mentioned your KSL show. Yeah. Uh, before that, you were doing a podcast, Beehive Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it it seems almost more like a name change, right? Because as yeah. I'm looking at both of those podcasts, one ended in October and then this one just started in November. So the very next month, what what was that transition like? Yeah, it's really just we did, made a deal with KSL is what happened. Okay, because right? it's it, the same, right? You have the same, same host, intro music, same, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, same all that stuff. Uh, there'll, there'll be some tweaks to it because we're now, we're now on the radio and kind of recording for radio is a bit different because they yeah. have, ads and they have to do like traffic updates or random stuff like that on ksl but um yeah basically what it means is we did a deal with ksl and and we changed the name to the deseret news silicon slopes hour again to rally around um silicon slopes mm -hmm. and we'll be announcing uh a partnership with deseret news on the content side as well that's awesome i, I want to talk a little bit about this i hope it, for obvious reasons we're interested in the podcast element of yeah. uh of beehive startup i remember beehive podcast started just a couple weeks before our podcast aired, because I remember looking at the new and noteworthy section, and we were always kind of competing around the uh, oh, cool. for that first eight weeks. And I would see um, Beehive Podcast pop up. Uh, what kind of success have you seen with your podcast as far as listens or subscribes? Uh, and what's your pro well, actually, answer that, and then I'll I'll, uh, I'll 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 have the follow up question. Yeah, so we saw an incredible amount of success with the Beehive Podcast. Um, I don't know why I, I, when I, when we launched BI podcast, I'm like, I think we have to, cause we're a media organization <laughs> Yeah, yeah. and we'd built this studio. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we were kind of obligated yeah. to launch a podcast. Uh, but I wasn't expecting much to come out of it, honestly, but it caught on and, and we got, I think we're at like, I mean, it's not like, it's not like Mark Maron's or Adam Carolla's podcast, but it's like. 2000 downloads per episode or something which for us is like crazy like there's yeah. two here's the thing here's my philosophy on podcasts it's kind of crazy you can listen to our podcast or literally do anything else with your life yeah <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> that that is a good philosophy and the fact to have. that 2000 people every week listen to our podcast kind of blow it actually yeah. blows my mind yeah um that people are that interested and that engaged um inside this community and now with the deseret news and ksl partnership those, those um numbers have obviously gone way sure. up through, yeah. through radio and the ksl app and that type of thing but early on getting 2000 downloads and 2000 listens on our podcast was like it blew my mind it's crazy so my follow-up question has to do with your guests because you've had some really great guests on your podcast your uh so the beehive podcast had 37 episodes and I think you're at episode nine now with the Desert News podcast. Um, what uh, what's your process? Well, actually, let me step back. Our podcast is in its third season. I think we're we're just over sixty episodes. Uh, it was about ten episodes ago that we decided, you know, let's have a guest on every single week. So we started scheduling guests out. 
uh, and uh, which has, I, in my opinion, made the podcast way more superior than it was. Uh, how do you get these guys on your on your show? I just email them. That's it. That's it. That's actually, let, let me write that down real quick. <laughs> I, I might forget that. <laughs> just, just, just send them an email. That, that's all you do. Uh, this is actually interesting, and, and I'll, I'll tell you again, like it. It's not, it wasn't just kind of random, you know, because we kind of built up this network already yeah. before we launched the podcast. So maybe a more interesting answer is how did we build this network at the very beginning of Beehive? And that's literally what I did. I didn't know these, you know, most of these people yeah. prior to launching Beehive. But um, I knew like when I would write a story, one of the first stories I wrote about on Beehive Starts was about Cotopoxy, David Smith. You should have him on. There's From a marketing perspective. Oh, yeah. There's all, yeah. A lot of cool Jeremy stuff Andrus there. from Traeger Grills. I can, I can help. What you should do is just yeah. let me help. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I know you've had Susan Peterson on the show. Yeah, she's amazing. We've emailed her and that didn't work. Oh, my gosh. So Email. We, need, we need Clint Betts uh, <laughs> to make a connection for us. Yeah. yeah, I'm happy to. I'm happy to. But what I did is, you know, we I, I wasn't getting everybody to respond to my email or yeah. to my calls early on, right? Um, but when I would get someone like a Davis Smith who launched Code Epoxy about the same time we launched BI Startups, I knew that, again, even though not a lot of people were going to read that story, but I knew one person was going to read that story, and that was Davis Smith. Because mm-hmm. you always read stories yeah. that are written about you. That's right. And so early on, I was writing those stories for them, for that one person. You know what I mean? So it's something that they could be kind of proud of and look at and say, like, yeah, that was a great story about what I'm building and that type of thing. Yeah. And so you kind of build in these little like, oh, you if you write something really great about someone, right? Or if you publish a great podcast interview that kind of promotes that person's business or whatever is honest and it's, it's different than something they've other done, otherwise haven't done, that type of stuff, then they're going to share it. And all of a sudden they're kind of like part of your network, right? That's kind of how we built this whole thing is like, hey, we're going to write stories and we're not going to write mediocre stories. We're not going to publish press releases. We're going to spend some time. I would spend like three or four days writing these stories to make sure that they were good enough and quality enough so that that person would be kind of excited that I spent, you know, an hour with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So let me interrupt you real quick because I want to I want to take a minute to talk about a really, really great company that I love. It's called Freshly Picked. And I, I can't I can't talk I, I can't tell you how great of a company that that's what you do. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, you basically just suck up. So uh, I have a question. Once you guys uh, started your podcast, uh, you went live on iTunes. Obviously, yeah. uh, did you guys do anything uh, on the technical side or uh, work with other platforms to kind of spread the word out and and get uh, listeners and downloads? We pushed it hard through our social media channels and through our newsletter and on our website. We pushed that really hard. We also, I think we published three or four at the very beginning. Okay. So there was kind of a plethora of... Yeah, we kind of did the same thing. We had like a backlog and we kind of just released a bunch at the same time. Yeah, we we released a bunch and we, I mean, we hammered people to, you know, give us reviews and ratings. That's still part of like my sign off is like, give us a review and rating. It's weird that that matters. It kind of yeah. bugs me that that matters, but matters I, a lot. I, I only started doing that after listening to Malcolm Gladwell's. He podcast. ends every episode with that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I've seen anything from it yet, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do. I have a question uh, a little bit more about marketing. So you obviously had the chance to work with a lot of startups. Uh, uh, I'm assuming, do, do you consulting or uh, like how involved are you with startups outside of telling the story? No, we don't. We don't do consulting. We, I, we, I kind of view what we do as like community organizing, right? Yeah. Like the Barack Obama of Utah, except for we'll never be president. 
so so the, no, Ro- the Ross Perot of yeah, we're like Ross Perot. or the Mitt Romney of of Utah. <laughs> Except both those people are extremely wealthy. Yeah, and again, well, yeah, that's true. That that kind of leaves us out. <laughs> but um, to answer your question, are you are you wondering like how, what are we seeing like yeah. some marketing strategies that have worked and that hasn't for startup community? Yeah, yeah. Basically, like for people who are starting uh, their own business, like what role does marketing typically play, typically play in those that you've seen do well? Um, uh, are they even thinking about marketing at all? Are they just 100% focused on product? Uh, or do they have some sort of marketing strategy that's built in and inherent in their product? And that causes things to uh, kind of take off quickly. I don't know that marketing is something that startups think about right out the gate. Um, whether they should or not, I think is even debatable, right? Mm-hmm. I think the main thing you want to nail when you're first starting a company is you got to nail the product mm-hmm. and you got to get customers. You know what I mean? And marketing plays a role in that, right? But you got to like really deliver a product that customers are going to want to buy. And that doesn't, isn't really attached to kind of some random marketing campaign, right? But marketing strategies that I see that work and that don't are all based around authenticity. Yeah. Like whether you can, I, you, I can tell now having been in this long enough and been in the startup and tech community long enough, uh, when someone is being authentic, and when they're just saying something because they want to, uh, you know, customers or they want to like build up something. A good example of this you'll see is in like social impact startups, like Codopoxy. You know, that's like authentic. That's something like Davis legitimately cares about. And so that is like a big part and core of his mission as a company is giving back and, you know, being the first B Corp in Utah and all that type of stuff. But you see so many startups and so many entrepreneurs try that strategy and you know they don't believe it. And you know they're just doing it as a way, as a marketing ploy or marketing scheme, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and same with like Susan Peterson, who you mentioned, you know, like she's being authentic mm-hmm. at all times in her marketing strategy. And you just see, I see so many startups and so many entrepreneurs and so many companies who are just not being authentic and like true to who they are and true to like what they care about. But they're kind of looking around at trends that they see, other companies who are being true to themselves, and they copy it or they yeah. try to do their own like little spin on it. And it just doesn't work. Right? I guess you could argue that goes back to product. Uh, if the person actually believes in the, what they're producing, what they're selling, that's going to come across in the marketing. Yeah. But you can't manufacture that. There's no shortcuts in this game. There, no one succeeds in it like out of luck. Right? I've never seen anyone like kind of get lucky and build a billion dollar company. That's never happened. Uh, you can you can get lucky at some points, right, and kind of skip some steps. But even then, you're gonna have to you have to do this for real, right? You have to believe in it for real. You have to commit to it for real. You have to go all in on it. And we learned that through Beehive, right? Like we had tons of like trial and error things with with Beehive. Like how do we be authentic to who we are? What do we care about? You know what what do we care about? And how does that match like what the community cares about? And how can we kind of, you know, find our place and our role in this community? And you have to, you have to be authentic. You have to go all in and you just have to realize there's no like kind of shortcuts. There's nothing you can kind of say, or there's no like weird marketing scheme that's going to get you to the next level. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you, at your core, you don't believe in what you're doing or not all in on what you're doing or something like that. So I don't know if that's helpful. I don't even know if that answers your question. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And looking back, like in the early days of Beehive Startups, was there a way that you were planning on growing? Like you had, you had the concept, you're ready to go live with everything. Maybe you had an assumption of this is how we're going to like really grow this. 
and then you were just dead wrong? Did you have like either an experience or just like a whole area of marketing that you thought was going to work and then it just completely flopped? Yeah, I mean, I've been dead wrong in Beehive far more than I've been right. We have failed as an organization, and I have failed as, like, the leader of this organization countless times, all the time. Well, again, what, what I thought I was building was a blog. That's it. Um, and, like, I would be working, like, 15, 20 hours a week on it, and the rest of the time I'd be doing Izeni Now Start Studio stuff. Um, so that was, like, my first thing is, like, this, this thing wasn't um, enough of a thing to, you know, be its own organization or be its own company or whatever. So that's the first thing that I was wrong about. Secondly is like um, figuring out the best way to get the community's attention. Uh, we failed all over the place with that. We did like these town halls that were like a total disaster. We were doing all these kind of trying all these different things. And it was only until we landed on this idea of learn, connect, serve. Like, what are our values and how do we portray those values inside of this community and to this community in order to serve it um, that we really, you know, things started taking off. Probably the greatest marketing thing that we ever did actually wasn't even a marketing thing at all. Um, we helped this beekeeper, this 15-year-old beekeeper. I remember um, that. It was crazy. This is, this is an interesting story. I was on Twitter Friday afternoon, like 5 p.m. I was following, like, some local uh, Fox 13 now reporter or something and she tweeted out 15 year old beekeeper loses his honey and beekeeping supplies to bee rustlers all of a sudden i'm in i'm in immediately you know when i see headline like that because one what's a bee rustler that's a crazy thing <laughs> and two like this kid is running a literal beehive startup and that's our name and so i, I immediately i turned to luke gunderson who's sitting right next to me i said we're gonna help this kid this 15 year old beekeeper running a literal beehive startup get his money back. He'd lost like $12,000 worth of beekeeping supplies and honey and all this type of stuff. And so we launched a GoFundMe campaign. We made this video where we were traveling up and down the Wasatch Front, getting all of these CEOs and investors and that to appear in the video to help this kid to raise $12,000 for this, you know, 15-year-old beekeeper. His name was Bryce Bunderson. And the whole time we're going down, it's a two-day thing. The whole time we're going up and down I-15, we're just laughing at like kind of this ironic, situation we yeah. found ourselves in of helping this kid who's running a literal bi startup and then on the last day we actually met bright bryce bunderson and his family and also it was didn't become like funny to us anymore it became like this really important thing because twelve thousand dollars to the bunderson family was like everything that was like how they yeah. were going to like make mortgage payments that's how they were going to put food on the table that's how they were going to pay for school supplies and we realized hey we actually have to bring this home we actually have to raise the twelve thousand dollars for this family and it's not a joke anymore and at that point we realized again the power of an organization the power of a community once it comes together to really kind of give back and serve and we i think that's the moment that we found our identity within the community i think that's what the moment when the community really kind of started to buy in to us as an organization things we can do we ended up raising i think fifteen thousand dollars for them and you know we had a honey beekeeping supply company actually donate all of the supplies and bees that he you know got stolen so the kid ended up like fifteen thousand dollars richer yeah out of the whole process but more importantly well maybe not more importantly but just as important for us as an organization we figured out you know the role we can play 
and what we can do as a community when we kind of rally together. So it wasn't, that's not like really a marketing thing, right? Mm -hmm. That's not like, like when we started that, I wasn't thinking like, Hey, this is a good way. It's going to help us grow. Yeah. This is a good way for beehive startups to get its name out there in the community. But the effect of it was that actually, yeah, it did get our name out there in the community. And then you have the uh, the copy. They, they look they look at that and say, "Oh, Beehive Startups did like that was yeah. a really genius marketing thing they just did." And so maybe we could try to do this. And then you get the unauthentic, yeah, versions of those spinoffs. We, we've seen those. We've seen like the the you know the Beehive uh, competitors or whatever come up with like kind of similar thing. But you know they phase out. I'm never worried about like competitors or any or copycats or anything like that because I I know how hard it was. To get from, you know, over the, I know how hard this journey has been for the past four years. And I think if anyone wants to look and say, hey, I want to go on that journey and be like, hey, if you can do that, that's amazing. Cause that was really hard. Right. And my guess is you're not going to, you know, believe in it in the same way that we believe in it and really kind of have the same values as us. So, yeah. And then I had a couple other questions. I noticed, so I looked at your uh, siliconslopes.com. And beehivestartups.com are both now hosted on medium.com. Yeah. So I guess two questions. What's the thought process of migrating those blogs to medium and why not have everything get pushed? Because beehive startup still functions as its own blog. Silicon slopes has its own. What's the thought process there as well? So the medium thing one I'll answer first. I love medium. I think what Ev Williams is building at medium five years from now will be, you know, as valuable as like Twitter. I think Medium's an amazing platform. Uh, and the reason why we're both of those publications are on Medium is kind of like twofold. One, way easier for us, uh, you know, to not have to deal with that piece because that's not all that we do, right? Mm-hmm. We do a variety of different things and keeping up with a website and hosting and all that type of stuff. It's nice not to have to worry about that. I think Medium's the best publishing platform out there and you know it's the very best so why don't we just use it and uh secondly to allow our community to contribute it's mm-hmm. way easier because they all have medium accounts and thirdly most of the tech community i think is probably the main audience on medium right now mm-hmm. i don't think that'll always be the case but i think tech and those who are interested in tech that's kind of the audience so for those reasons and a variety of others but those are probably the three main ones um, and having both publications on it. So it's super easy to kind of publish on both. And, you know, you're not kind of going and logging into two different things and figuring that stuff out. Secondly, why do we have two publications that are just rallying around one? BI Startups will only cover entrepreneurship and small business in Utah, and Silicon Slopes will be the tech brand. So BI Startups will no longer cover tech stories, but mm-hmm. it'll cover, again, uh, you know, an area that's not covered by Local media outlets are kind of, you know, been generally left out for whatever reason. Uh, It'll start covering the kind of general entrepreneurship. You'll see a lot of stories about like stay-at-home moms, which is like this amazing, vibrant community in this state. That'll all happen on Beehive Startups and Silicon Slopes. We'll just cover tech stories. That's awesome. We are running out of time. There's one last thing that I want to do. I want to end on a fun little game. Uh, Clint, thank you so much for coming on the show I think it's you've had some invaluable uh, tips and um, suggestions. Uh, this segment is a play on Family Feud. Awesome. You guys know Family Feud? Yeah. Never heard of it. You're lying. <laughs> you're, you're like the biggest Steve Harvey fan there is. <laughs> 
So I'm going to give you a topic, and then I want uh, I want uh, I want to start guessing the top ten, okay? And uh, and then we'll end the show. So in 2016, there was what's called an average influencer index done on the top uh, brands who are the most engaging. So I want I want to, I want to run through the top ten. Uh, Facebook brands, they're not Facebook brands, they're brands on Facebook uh, who had the most influence in 2016. Just on Facebook, so Just not Twitter. Facebook. Yeah, so so let me give you a little bit additional context as to how this is measured. Uh, it calculates a fan's influence based on their ability. To, I'm, I'm pulling this from maverick.co. A fan's, a fan's influence based on their ability to drive friends to engage with a brand's organic Facebook posts. Does that make sense? So you share something, and then it's your ability to get your followers to share that with their friends. Yeah. Okay. So uh, top 10 uh, top brands on Facebook. Paxton. Red Bull. Red Bull is number 11. Dang. It's pretty close. Clint. BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed is not on the list. Huh. Uh, yeah, it's not on the list. Brandon. Fox News. I feel like you. I feel like Fox News is your go-to. Like yeah. on every guest. Well, are, are there of, any publications on this list, or are I, these I, I just like, like products? The publications have controversial topics, which yeah. Yeah. causes engagement. So, like yeah. CNN, Fox News, I would imagine. Yeah, makes sense. are gonna have huge. So there, rates. Are, there are no publications. So just brands. Hmm. Just brands. Most uh, of them are huge brands. So Jimmy Fallon does not count. That's right. Jimmy Fallon does As, not count. <laughs> we established that a couple. Okay, of, we're going back to Paxton. Uh, Monster. No. I have no idea. <laughs> AMC? It? No. Samsung? Nope. Oh, no. Samsung Mobile is number four. There we go. What? Samsung Can you give Mobile. us number two? Number two is Coca-Cola. Okay. Oh, Taco Bell. Taco Bell is not on the top What? Ten no. <laughs> Those guys have a solid social strategy. What about Pepsi? Pepsi is not in the top ten. Wow, I thought this would go a lot uh, easier. Kinda. Like, I'll, I'll give you... Uh, Let me open up my Facebook. Walmart is 12. Visa is 13. PlayStation, Dove, Southwest, Oreo, Heineken, McDonald's, Dodge, Intel, Disney, BMW, Bud Light, uh, MasterCard. Those are, that's 11 through 25. So those are the kinds of brands that are on here, right? Number 10 is... Did you say Disney already? Yeah. Okay. Number 10 is United Airlines. Number 9? JetBlue. No. Is on there. No. No. Come on, like huge Man, brands. I don't follow what any like the brands, brands, I guess. I follow uh, Visa. people. Visa. No. Okay, <laughs> number nine is Target. Okay. Number eight is Visa. Best Buy. Oh, wait. Who sorry. follows I didn't say Visa? Visa. This is so, no, no, so, you just said Visa. I said sorry, Visa. It's not Visa. It's Nike. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Nike makes sense. Uh, they this produce is, good content. You don't get seven, which is WWE. <laughs> number six blows minds, and it's KFC. Oh yeah, they had uh, they have some weird social media strategies. By the way, KFC is breaking into the Super Bowl ads for the very first time. Huh. Denny's Denny's is not on here. Number five is the NBA, and then Samsung is number four. Number three, surprisingly, blast from the past in the '90s. MTV is number three. <laughs> number two is Coca Cola, and number one, American Express. Wait, give us a hint. <laughs> uh, number one. Uh, is a product that will. It's not a product. It's if you. It's a drink. It's a drink. They, uh, well, I shouldn't say it's a drink. They sell drinks. Not Red Bull. Not Monster. Right. 
Is it an, an energy drink? It's uh, uh, it's a drink that has a lot of caffeine. Mountain Dew. No, I guess that would be Pepsi. It's not Rockstar. It's not Rockstar. Red Bull. All right. What is it? Starbucks. Starbucks. Uh, Starbucks is number one. I follow and no brands apparently. Their average influencer index is eighty five. Point seven seven and number two Coca Cola drops to fifty seven. So their engagement is by far superior to even number two <laughs> Coca Cola. And that's the show. I want to know who follows Visa. Uh, Visa wasn't on the list. Oh yeah, it is number it thirteen. Is Nike. It was the quick shout out before we end to Clint Betts. And yeah, Beehive Startups. Yeah, with, their uh, benefactor. Without Beehive Startups, we would not be who in we the are. studio yeah. right now. We'd Our be audio quality would be. Far super, before uh, before yeah. Beehive Stardust, we were recording uh, from the uh, uh, microphone built into the laptop, gathered around <laughs> yeah. one laptop. That was only the first two episodes. Go listen to episode one if yeah, you're the show, that. and you'll have a kick. Night and day. Yeah, we appreciate it a lot. Uh, it, it's uh, It's been amazing to be able to re- record here. Of course, anytime. Thanks for having me on, guys. You bet. Yeah. If you as a listener have found any sort of benefit or value from the show, please leave a review. It helps out a lot. If you want to get in contact, uh, whether it's to submit a topic idea uh, or if you want to just ask a, a, a question and get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at BelowTheFold.io. Alternatively, you can send us an email inbound at BelowTheFold.io. And next week's guest uh, is going to be Paul Dowling. Yep, he's a, uh, a marketing teacher at University of Utah. So we're going to reopen uh, the festering wound oh, of... Wounds. Uh, is it worth it to get a college education in marketing? Yeah. That should be a very good episode. Until then, we'll catch you below the fold.